Oh, I don't know, man. This is my brain hurts. <laughs> I was just going to say I'm going to resurrect an old motif. Okay. Let's hear it. An old running gag, and I'm going to eat <laughs> while we do this. Hell yeah. What you, what you eating? What you got? I'll give you three guesses. I'm going to guess a pork of some kind. Mm-mm. No, no pork. Th- no pork this time. Is it? Is uh, it? Is it a beef? <laughs> there is beef in it. Oh, you're going the Raban route. You just hacked some off of a hanging cow. <laughs> did the old Harkonnen way. No, it is. A little beef swelling for Dune enthusiasts. It is spaghetti and meatballs, which uh, okay. I think I've had on the show before. Okay. You have. Yeah. We talked We talked some hefty pasta. Yes. Throwing it back with a classic. I like it. So we are going to be talking Frank Herbert's Dune, the original 65 yes. novel that launched it all. All the weirdness and all, all the insanity that is Dune. Deep, 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 deep lore. Like, honestly, possibly comparable. I don't want to say better or worse, but like in a similar arena to Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. Yeah, mythology. I mean, I've always thought of it, and I think he gave an interview one time I watched on online. He kind of simplifies it in the sense of, and this could just be like a marketing technique back when he was getting interviewed. Yeah. It kind of simplifies it a little bit as like kind of King Arthur in space a little bit. Yes. Like if, if you were going to. At least that first book, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. Like if you're going to, if you're going to try and like pitch it to someone who's never heard of it or seen it or isn't necessarily, okay, what am I getting into? That's kind of a good tagline or log line. That's kind of part of your elevator pitch, which, yeah. which was drilled into our heads back in the day. It's like, all right, what is it? Well, it's Die Hard on a bus. As far as its yeah. influence too, I think you can kind of see its fingerprints all over science fiction following that point. I mean, if you want to get, I don't want to get too deep down the spiral of the adaptations, the film adaptations, but especially Jodorowsky's not completed take that that one you can say impacted pretty much all of modern science fiction, even though it never it was never even completed, which is crazy. But yeah, like I said, we're not going down that spiral because that's a whole topic in and of itself. Well, we're here to talk about the Frankie, original book, Frankie Herbs and his beautiful beard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Frank Herbert, 1965. He was actually working on a separate writing project when he came about this. He went out to the Oregon desert and was doing drugs and got hardcore inspired oh. to write this So crazy he was science. doing drugs. Yes. He was a okay. very avid partaker of the mushrooms and all the all the all the, all the delightful psychedelics he, he like was, psilocybin he was or something oh yeah he was he was into all of it big time and as you can see from the topic of the spice spice melange that that, that explains a apparent. lot i would say yeah because basically all of dune is about space drugs <laughs> it pretty much governs Every aspect of Dune and all the elements of it. The Lands Rat, the Bene Gesserit, all of it pretty much runs purely on drugs. <laughs> A very, very powerful drug. Yes. So Spice Melange, only found on the planet Arrakis, which now there's a lot to get into all of this. I don't think we're going to get through everything, but I'll, co- I'll cover what I can. Yeah. And the spice can basically, in, in its most important form, it can be refined to help the Spacing Guild navigate the cosmos. So basically, it is a drug that affects the mind, but is basically equatable to oil, in that it helps the na- the Spacing Guild, who actually pilot the ships, they they gives them the mental prowess to be able to transport the ships. Yeah, and I, so I always took it and tell me what you think. The metaphor behind it, I mean, if you look at it, the representation of it, I always took it as like a, a MacGuffin for power, essentially. 
Oh yes, and it's it's it is actually. I I think there is quotes from Herbert stating that it was meant to be an allegory for Middle Eastern oil. Okay, yeah, and and it's because everyone uses it in I think like different ways, right? Like obviously the travelers use it for the like that's actual space travel, but it can also enhance your lifespan. I believe no. Yeah, it prolongs the lifespan. The Bene Gesserit use a different refinement of it in order to yeah. see into the future because their whole thing is mapping out the past and the future genetic lines and manipulating those genetic lines to try and orient the outcome of various timelines to a direction that they would prefer. They're kind of the shadow government pulling the puppet strings behind everything. I believe they're the Bene Gesserit are strictly women now. Yes, they are commonly referred to as the sisterhood of the Bene Gesserit. A derogatory term used against them is they are called witches, even though they don't really like that. They don't they don't like their business being flared in the public and anything that shows them as that, which is basically what they are. And and another thing too, I mean, this I think it's worth taking note that the year of these events of this first novel, at least at the start of the book, is the year ten thousand one hundred ninety one, supposing to be the same timeline fu- like this the future of the current earth yeah. human timeline so about as we've expanded thousand years in the future uh, right yeah. now yeah so i mean like there's a lot of layers a lot of lore a lot of history to those 10 those missing 8000 some years between now and then and i think that there's a lot of one of the reasons that dune is gaining a lot of popularity in current time is that there is a big rise in ai and one of the big yeah things in the lore and history of Dune is no, we've actually talked on the show before about the Butlerian mm-hmm. Jihad yes. which which is basically the plot of Terminator happens AI takes over <sighs> does its absolute best to crush humanity but we fight back and kick its ass yeah I've always I always thought that was an interesting concept to Dune is the technology is big obviously but the tech if you will in science fiction anytime you're writing like a fantasy or science fiction story the magic or the tech in the sci-fi world is like an integral part so in Dune, Herbert kind of downplays the tech and kind of strips more. that element out of it to a large degree. Yeah. Which is almost why I kind of considered Dune to be on that line. We've talked about certain things being on that line of science fiction and fantasy before. I think this one just sits just left of that yeah. fence into science fiction, though it is you about can as go, close as it could be. You to can fantasy. go either way with it. I wouldn't, like, if I went into a bookstore and someone had it in science fiction, I'd be like, cool. Yeah. And if someone else had it in fantasy, I'd be like, yeah. Mm-hmm. If someone they, had they it in need, teen like, a romance, shelf between. <laughs> I'd be like, what are you doing? But I could also see that as well. You just tell them that they're on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> the, the lore of this franchise, it really does kind of suck you in. It's, it's impossible to grab all of it. Like any one of these books, and then each one expands this world to a crazy degree and takes you to weird places because the first one is very much the, the hero's journey, though you're meant... To, uh, Herbert has was quoted as saying he, d- he felt a lot of people didn't get what he intended out of that first book, and that was to create a hero's journey story that kind of crushed the idea of hero's journey stories. You're kind of supposed yeah. to hate Paul. Well, yeah, and 
again, I can remember another interview he gave, not that I was there in person, mm -hmm. just online here, but he said, yeah. I feel, I'm paraphrasing this, but it was along the lines of, I feel that heroes should come with their own warnings. A surgeon general warning is like when on a, a bottle of wine or something, oh, hey, use of this could cause blah, 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 or like the side effects of when you have like a, we have to take a medication, side effects could include, and he described that the same thing. He said, I think heroes, leaders should come with that as well, because the decisions that a leader makes, the the consequences like propagate throughout whoever's following them. And I think that's why one of the famous scenes in the book is as Paul says, not to get too far ahead. Yeah, no. But when he when he, got, when he gives his speech and what is it like hail to the fighters or yeah or something along those lines that's like a big thing and everyone just kind of like is like yeah all about it now so that's that's a that's one big thing yes i think can get lost sometimes in in what the story like you said one one of the things that i love about it we've we've talked time travel stories to a degree and i think how this story utilizes its version of time travel which is paul looking into the future knowledge of the future is as important as going or traveling there and he has a basic constant understanding of the future after a certain point in this story and as he's looking into the future and knowing what's around every corner he's actively trying to change and better what's happening and he can't or at least he, he can't as far as like the story is he's, he's trying to avoid certain terrible atrocities and he can't because they just yeah. keep unfolding the way that he has seen them no matter how hard he tries to push against that them. that brings up a kind of little side tangent here you talk about like time travel there was i was watching on not sponsored have you ever seen the youtube channel corsica sat i'm not i don't know if i'm saying that right exactly i don't believe but that it, i have I, I think it's a german word and it kind of means just like in a nutshell or something like that they do a lot of fun animated videos and ask like really deep questions a lot of science related questions or questions about humanity or stuff like that i really i highly recommend the youtube channel if you okay if you ever want to look at something fun and they're like they're not usually super Super long videos. Some are, but the majority are pretty like I'd say 15, 20 minutes long. But they did one about this theory about how time, like a frozen block theory of time, and that if you look at one moment in time, let's say like one moment in time is a sheet of paper and everything happening on that sheet of paper, the, a drawing, right? Mm -hmm. But then if you take a stack of them, let's say the our universe, the beginning is the page one and then the end is whatever final page that is. It essentially is saying that time itself is frozen in this block and everything you do has already been predetermined. Yeah. And it, it, they use that example of like pages or pages in a book, essentially. It's already been designed and mapped out. And it, it, it gets a little trippy, but yeah, it's similar to what you're saying there that Paul can't affect what he's trying to do. When it, if it will go down a time travel, travel tangent for a second, there are basically two theories of time travel that can be narrowed down. And that's causal determinism and the multiverse theory. Basically, if you're doing time travel, you're doing one of those two things. And what I, one of the things I love about the series Dark is it actually kind of dips its toe in both of them. Okay. It, find, it actually finds a way to prove both both theories as potentially correct, which I found interesting. This this also kind of dabbles in a similar arena, whereas like Paul is seeing the future and trying to avoid, he finds that he can kind of lay drops in the barrel and make small changes to things that he saw. So he's, yeah. he's kind of playing with that arena a little bit. But he's, I mean, he's the only one in the entire universe capable of doing this. So he's kind of on his own and trying to figure it out. It's from snorting too much of that spice. The sweet melange. He, uh, he's been huffing all that spice, getting, uh, getting all hopped up. 
the malange. <laughs> no, 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 no. I won't. I won't. I will not pervert these words. Go ahead. But yeah, one of my favorite quotes from the book is actually one of the laws of the Imperium created as a result of the Balerian Jihad is that thou shalt not make a machine in the likeness of the human mind. Yeah, what a, that is such a good quote too. Yeah, it, it it's one that hits you and stands with you. And it, especially, like I said, given the rise of AI that we're looking at now, I think it's only gaining relevance. And it's, it's revered within this world that you should do things of your own accord. And basically any man that relies on a machine is a weak man, is the idea. Yeah, yeah. And that that is interesting. And I think it's not to say, too, it's kind of obviously they do still have machines. But again, this is where you kind of get this kind of like this really helps helps with the world building and like how many times today we're like man anyone's just looking to try and pick apart your story or or any or your project and be like well they're trying to find that one thread that makes it fall apart and loses its continuity i think this right here is kind of the seal mark that kind of protects it all it's like thou shalt not make a machine in the likeness of the human mind yeah so cars like all of their processing power okay, they rely yeah. on the mentats yeah. The Mentats are basically human computers yeah. who take their, their they actually, t there's another refinement of spice that they take to enhance their calculation abilities. So basically they're walking computers. They call them assassins, but they're basically human computers. Mm -hmm. And they, again, they rely entirely on humankind and the prowess of where humankind be can be pushed, even through the art of drugs, and in most cases through the art of drugs, but all the same. Like, <laughs> It has to be done by by the hand of a human, by the hand of a, yeah. of a human being, and we we even see through the Bene Gesserit, like they have it's it's through every facet of this. They they believe that the test that they give Paul is is the test of the Bene Gesserit to prove whether or not they're human. If they're a human, mm -hmm. they can be allowed to exist within the order. But if they're proved as what they define as an animal, which is something subhuman. There is no reason to leave that animal quote air quote on alive. Yeah. No, and that is a that's a that's a key scene and that is the very first scene of the book. I always thought it was interesting that it's in every adaptation it's pushed further into. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 usually not shown right away, which I guess I could understand. As, as having gone through school, I can sort of see why because there is a lot of backstory to Dune. Also, because it's it has a lot of intrigue throughout science fiction already. It's a very revered yeah. story already. So I think a lot of times it's pushed back to hold your interest a little bit longer because you know it's yeah. coming. Although I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the original, like the first editions or so of Dune, I think it had like an encyclopedia entry in the very beginning, sort of explaining all the big names like the Bene Gesserit, the Spacing Guild, the Mentats, yeah. all that. I I think don't. I don't remember now. I'm trying to like. I used to have no, a very I, I remember copy a of copy Dune. of yeah. I, I saw a copy or two that had that. But but yeah, I I reread and I had a more a modern version of it. And maybe it. I don't know if maybe they did change that. But in this newer version that was released, the very first scene is Paul. Well, roughly Paul going at, to at the, least the the Reverend Mother Mohaim arriving the, on Kaladin. Yeah, the the gum gum jaba the gum test the the poison tipped needle. Yeah. Which, yeah, and I think it, like, it, I don't know, I think it works great that that's the first scene. I don't know. This, is, that is an interesting is, little thing. In storytelling, you talk about a hook. I mean, what better hook of, of putting your main character in the fate of death from page, from the early yeah. pages? <laughs> and one thing, too, though, that 
helps in this sense is Herbert wisely chooses to use omniscient, third-person omniscient, in the style of how he writes. Yes. So that allows him to get more information out. You got to be careful with it, though, because you can head hop. I know today that's not as that's not the fashionable way to write. People prefer either third-person limited or first-person when it comes to a book. Omniscient, though, can be done really well, but it, I, I would say it's arguably the, mo- the most difficult to yes. pull off. And it's, it's interesting because you see a lot more of Paul's perspective in the book, I think, than, mo- than looking specifically at Lynch and Villeneuve's adaptations or the miniseries, but that perspective, which I think is lost in all three of those. Yeah. And I, I think there's there's a lot more understanding in the book. I think that there's a lot that needs to be left on the cutting room floor by leaving out that perspective because once you go down that road, it's like, all right, you're going to need a ton more time to explain all this. So like, I uh-huh. think I, it's understandable that they're dropping it out. We've, we've talked before about food and cooking and storytelling and how it's a yes. comparable metaphor. I, th- I, I think that I, I thought it, I was thought about this the other day and I thought it was real funny that a little bit of spice makes everything nice. Oh my God. How long did it take you to come up with that one? <laughs> uh, I've been sitting on it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's basically in besides it being a drug, it is space oil but it is also the way that many of these organizations and many of the houses of the lands rat. That's another term that I wanted to clarify um, yeah. that puzzled me through the through the books. What the lands rat actually is, because the way Herbert writes, he throws a lot of tangential terms around that all like mm-hmm. kind of mean different things, but are used interchangeably to describe the same things. There's often like six terms that mean roughly the same thing, but yeah have like different segmented context in and of themselves. How Paul is often referred as to as the Muad'Dib, the Lisan al-Gaib, the, the Kwisatz Haderach. These are all like terms from like basically different societies that roughly yeah. mean the same thing, even though like Muad'Dib is basically the desert mouse on Arrakis. And that's why the Fremen refer to him as that, because he is seen as the, the desert mouse that survived on unlikely circumstance through the desert. Yeah. But that's still basically... They're still basically referring to him as the Messiah, the the Lisa yeah. Gaib, which is the term the the Fremen term given to them by the Bene Gesserit for what the Kwisatz Haderach is, which is in the Bene Gesserit terminology, a mind that can bridge time and space. Yeah. So it's it's just it when you're reading this, it's your your brain is going in circles. Well, to no, keep it's all definitely. I I do. I do re- I do recommend reading it. I, I know for some it might just not be their thing. It can might come it's off boring. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot. I wouldn't even but, call it a lot. It's just overwhelming. Yeah. Or like I wouldn't call it boring. It's overwhelming. It's it it I look at it as it's almost a bit of a fever dream read. One of those like I think it's meant he, to come over that way and in, in yeah. the term of like the drugs and like the the yeah, the euphoria state of everything. I think you're meant to like kind of have that feeling. No, it be it's it's definitely one that if someone were to tell me Eh, it just wasn't for me. Understandable. If someone oh, yeah. tells me, oh, it it sucks so bad, it's terrible, I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah. I, I can definitely see it not being people's cup of tea. Because you and I have talked before about, especially in regards to the fantasy genre, about having this buffet of lore to dive into. That is my forte because yeah. I love to research. I love to dive in. I love to get my hands dirty and like try and figure out what all this crazy <laughs> is. Yeah. And, and why not? But that's some people just want to sit back and watch something sometimes. So to each their own. But yeah, but you were yeah, you were saying like the Lands Rat, for example, is pretty much just the as I've always understood it, it, just the 
the great houses. Yes. Um, so like there, there are multiple houses throughout the Imperium. Yeah. But there is this top 1% of houses that reach a certain mm-hmm. status, that reach a certain wealth, respect. There's there's different ways to be classified within the Landsrat. But yeah. And I think, too, that I don't know. If I, I've always kind of thought this. I don't know if this is true, but that I've always looked at Herbert kind of making a commentary on we can try as much as we want, but we'll always sort of refute back refute back i guess that's the word i have to use because i can't think of the other one refute back to to some form of feudalism or, or tribalism yes. in that way if things will just get too big and we just have to revert back revert back so there's the word i was looking for revert back to kind of what i like about it is it feels like kind of like that medieval feudalism but like fused with like modern culture of these evil corporations like yeah puppet stringing everything so it's like it's kind of got all of that going on with futuristic space drug magic going on and people using their brains to shout each other into submission kind of stuff and like all this weird kind of brain magic going on <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm very i'm very into weird <laughs> so dune is up my alley <laughs> in case anyone was not aware he's into weird <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, dune is a weird book but like when you look at it in comparison to god emperor especially <laughs> like once we uh, get down the road well, yeah i would say too. i would i wouldn't like tell well it wouldn't make sense anyway i don't think but i wouldn't tell anyone to pick up god emperor first i'd be like no like it start is with, start it is slightly dune. off topic with the <laughs> With the adaptations, but like once they announced that they were doing Dune on a big scale, I was like, they are never doing God Emperor, at least not the way that it's written. No, yeah. (laughs) It's way too weird for mainstream audiences. It it would, I mean, that would be something though. That would be very something. I would love to see that happen, but I I highly doubt it. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I, I, to get into it too, I mean, I, let's, I, there's a lot to dive in. Paul as, you know, the Reverend Mother Moheim states in that early scene he inherits too much power and there's a lot of layers to that statement because paul like from like eight or nine different avenues is gaining power through the course of Mm -hmm. this book there is a bullet point in the plot that i am specifically not going to bring up that happens in book one because it was not introduced in villeneuve's part one Okay. I have a feeling it's coming up in part two. So I, I don't want to state it, but the, one of the last pieces of information you learn from book one is in regards to a secret that Jessica has that relates to yeah. Paul. And beyond that, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. But it is very important to the nature of the story and how it is progressing. And it comes at the exact midpoint of the first book. Mm-hmm. And Paul, is at the, at the early stages of the book, is being trained as a mentat which is interesting because it shows it proves that he already is on at a pulpit of great intelligence like he can already calculate circles around most people. So and then on top of that he is heir to one of the great houses of the Landsrat. Yeah, the House of Trades. And he's also being trained in the ways of the Bene Gesserit, which is in so incredibly rare for a male. Mm, I was with the Bene Gesserit once a couple <laughs> years back. How was that weekend? Huh. <laughs> They were throwing spice <sighs> around. There were bowls everywhere. It was a cold night in October, let me tell you. <laughs> I, woke, I woke up in, on Caledon several weeks later without my pants. <laughs> <laughs> and then realized I had sold my pants in a, in a drunken state <laughs> to someone else. Oh, God. Okay, keep going. Yeah. 
So since we're, since we're on the topic of the Bene Gesserit, there, there are many elements to that. The Reverend Mother Mohaim from that initial scene, she is the quote-unquote truth-sayer to the emperor himself. And what a truth-sayer is, is a Bene Gesserit reverend who has the mental power to be able to tell when someone is lying or not. And it, for her to be the truth-sayer of the emperor himself is kind of a big deal. I mean, she's like a hot shot. She can smoke out mm-hmm. a lie like no other. So she she is one of the head puppet string pullers of the Bene Gesserit. She is guiding these genetic bloodlines towards the ideal future. She's trying to puppet string all this stuff, and she gets very pissed off with Paul's mother, Lady Jessica, because she finds out 15 years too late, but she does find out that uh, she gave House Atreides a male heir, mm-hmm. which was not part of their their plans their their game book yeah <laughs> behind the scenes it was supposed to be wasn't it it was supposed to be oh unless you don't want to get to that well it was supposed to be a daughter she she was supposed to birth yeah. a daughter to the house yeah and that was a boo-boo she was she was not supposed to because the the benny jesuit have complete and total control of whether they birth a woman um, a male or a female offspring which is kind of insane yeah. and and I think it was that birth a daughter who was then supposed to wed someone from Harkonnen, no? And then that was going to be yes. I think you're right. The yes, Quitzart, right or something like that. Like they, she down, did it like one line generation further. too early or something. Yes, or like it was supposed one to be further two generations down the line. too early. And the Bene Gesserit could not see this coming. Yeah, which, which is also I, I've always point. taken as a, a little. Once again, I mean this I mean, this book is filled with little commentaries or ways you can read it. Yes, I always. That's why that it's as so like, like these these film adaptations are so drastically different because you yeah. can like really pick this up a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. I always took that as like a little bit of how does fate and free will? Just a little discussion on that. Them not being able to see Lady Jessica's decision. Yes, to have Paul, I think was I always took it as just a little commentary or just discussion or open discussion for you, the reader, to be you know, fate versus free will yeah. and all that, which shadows what Paul keeps trying to do. And it's it's also the, the we'll get into the rise of the Kwisatz Haderach and the the whole thing with that is like like you said. What a what a name. Sounds like a do you remember Quiznos? Is that do they still exist? <laughs> they do still exist. The those little furball commercials. The Kwisatz oh, yeah. that's but the the that is exactly what I was gonna say. Like, I don't know why, but like around the time that commercial came out was like the first time I sort of saw uh, Lynch's Dune. Yeah. <laughs> from the 80s. And they Lynch's would always Dune say. Lynch's Dune is insane. It is, yeah. it is like it literally is like 500 pounds of potatoes in a two and a half pound <laughs> sack. It is so crammed in there. But just when they would say like Quisades, Quisades, oh my God, I can't say it now. Say it for me. The... Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Quisarts Hatterack, I'm saying it wrong, but I, it, it, when I was little, I'm like, why are they talking about Quizno subs in this? <laughs> Quizno sub! Oh. They're taking product place into a whole other degree. Yeah, <laughs> but that, yeah, that's a little tangent. I'm sorry, go ahead. The Quiznos Hatterack. What a, what a name. What a name, though, to come up the with. The Quiznos Cat Scratch. <laughs> yeah, so they're the, the Bene Gesserit with this Quizats Hatterack, they are trying to birth bring about a male Bene Gesserit at, at, a cert, at a key point that is a mind powerful enough to bridge space and time. The male Bene Gesserit would be able to look into not only male 
bloodlines, which the females of the Bene Gesserit cannot do. They can only look into the genetic memories of female members of the bloodline and kind of they're piecing together what they can from that. So a male would be able to look throughout the entirety of their genetic line and know the full story. And they're working very hard to bring that about at a key point that will be of most benefit to them. And that's why they get so angry when someone's upsetting their plan because they're ta- you're talking like thousands of years of planning. Uh-huh. And we're just gone on a whim. This lady Jessica just goes off and has a boy. Which, do they ever actually say how she does that? I, I honestly don't remember now. If it is in the books, I don't recall off the top okay. of my head. How she makes sure that she has a boy. I know it is fairly specific to the Bene Gesserit. But yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, you throw the spice in there, you got the... You got the... You got, you the, got the, the... Everything which, being nice. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that old spice. The other two big things from the Bene Gesserit are the voice... Which, and mm-hmm. the Villeneuve version is very well expressed and explained. It is. Which com- is essentially like, no, I was just going to say like, this is before Star Wars. Yes. So, Largely but- argued that Dune was pulled for, like pulled from force to create a lot of the background world of Star Wars. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm just saying like, if you were to tell someone what is the voice, I'm like it, if I'm just trying to get someone interested in it, I'll, I would point to it's similar to the Jedi mind tricks. But yes. this is this is this predates that. All right. Yeah. So the the mental power of the Bene Gesserit, they've they've not I wouldn't say evolved, but they've progressed the human capabilities of the mind to basically force persuasion to an entirely other stratosphere where they can basically persuade you into doing things you don't even understand that you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's a very it's it's it described in the books as the voice basically slamming into your conscience and forcing you to do things. Yeah. Um, so it's it's an interesting spiral of lore on that front. But they, there's also the weirding way. Um, the I Reverend that, Mother. Oh, I love that yeah. term. It is it is a very fascinating term. Yeah. It just like and that that's one thing. Uh, one I'm going to tangent tangent off again. I'm sorry. Tangent I off. love his use of of like oxymoron in the book, like taking two terms and putting them together, and like, it, you, you get that that clashed, but it like creates something new. The, the common example is like a, a cold sweat. I broke out into a cold sweat that, well, what does that mean? Usually if you're sweating, you're hot, but you're cold mm-hmm. at the same time. So something like the weirding way, I just, it's, it's simple, very simple words here. We're not using something that you need to look, have a dictionary look up to see what's happening. Apart from all the terms he made up in this, when it comes to getting the reader hooked or describing something, he does keep it simple. Yeah, and that's what I think is so interesting about it is as complex as a book as it is, it does draw you in mm-hmm. in a very interesting way. And what the weirding way is specifically is a fighting style within the Bene Gesserit, meant for short distances, and it's very attack speed heavy. It is unique, and nobody really knows how to counter it, which makes it uh, particularly useful in their hand-to-hand combat because of the shield generators and everything is very common within this world. Yeah, Guns are rendered pretty useless, so it's knife play and sword play in close quarters combat is really, really the name of the game in this world. Other th- other things I wanted to dive dive down into following the Kwisatz Hadrach. Yes, the there Quiznos is Hadrach. there is the spacing <laughs> the Quiznos. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just that was always one. I remember the first time I read the book, I was like, "The f- does that say? Like, what is that? <laughs> what the hell is that?" <laughs> I I thought there would have been a Q in there somewhere, yeah. but you know, like Kwisatz. But anyway, go go ahead. 
Yeah, so there's the Spacing Guild, which we do see. It's not actually stated yes. that we see them in the Villeneuve take, but it's interesting because they arrive with the Emperor's Herald of the Change to summon mm-hmm. House, House Atreides to go take stewardship over planet Arrakis. They're the ones wearing all the head garb and everything. You can't see yeah. them because the use of spice melange, which they use to navigate the Holtzman drive engines that allow us to achieve intergalactic fold, inter- yeah, essentially travel. fold space. Yeah. Yeah. And basically because we're not using computers to do this, the mental power it takes to achieve that type of calculation can only be achieved through spice, which basically makes it oil. Mm-hmm. The spacing guild is, is is very much involved in the politics of the world. They are very much involved with the emperor. They are like I wouldn't say under the emperor's thumb, but they are like uh, more so or, like they were the, the emperor's under, under their thumb, theirs. depending on how you look at it. Yeah, it's it's a very complex dynamic, but they are very much pressuring the emperor to kick Leto's butt, get him out of there. He's he's yeah. They he's, they he's are. I guess problems. the equivalent in our world would be in our time would be just very powerful lobbyists. I, I yes, would imagine very much so. Also, the case with the Chome Corporation. Chome is basically Amazon times a thousand. Uh-huh. They they oversee all commerce and trade, and their big influence is they are responsible for water on Arrakis, and by that means, under Harkonnen rule over Arrakis, there is a lot of backdoor smuggling of the spice, getting the spice out, <laughs> and everybody's getting their piece. <laughs> that's part of that's part of the whole problem here, is because under Harkonnen rule. Everybody wants to get their piece, and Harkonnen House allows this to occur because they understand the way of things. They understand that if they allow everybody to do their little backdoor they're going to be rich as hell. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's essentially they're they're the ones who, in the beginning of the story, have control of Arrakis or Dune. Yes. They're giving unspeakable atrocities to the I mean, it's simple, not supply and demand, but if you're the only, I mean, it's a monopoly on it. Like, that's the only place you can get it. And if you have control of it, man, it's just like, I can charge whatever I want. It's like when, it's like in the, in the, the second, uh, um, oh, uh oh my god woodstock the second woodstock in the 90s when all when all went to hell at that concert and like people didn't have water anymore so the people who had the water like the vendors were just well they can't leave they can't get the water anywhere else we're the only ones that got it jack up the price same thing well it's like any 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 sport Sports arena. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. That's a better example. Why, I don't know why I didn't come up with that one. No, it's okay. Like, it's the same thing, really. You go there, you want to get a beer. It's like, all right, you would get a beer and yeah. a brandy sandwich. It'll cost you as much as like 15 of them outside. Yeah, outside it'll cost anyone. you another ticket. Yeah. It's nuts how that. But that's that essentially works. what the Harkonnens are doing. Yeah. And how it's, and since we're on the topic of the Harkonnen, House Harkonnen, they were a House Minor up until a certain point. Yeah. But it was when they were given steward, like, this, we're talking further in the past. Like, they were given stewardship over Arrakis. And then that like very quickly shot them up into a financial bracket that they yeah. were, and they manipulated things in, a, in the right kinds of ways and they gained enough power to be considered. Mm-hmm. And they got real buddy buddied with the emperor because the emperor was able to get his backdoor dealings out of there. He was getting his piece. The Harkonnens were getting their piece, always happy with the world. But then this, this history starts to brew with uh Trades house and Tensions start to brew back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then before that, House Atreides wins a certain victory over House Harkonnen. Yeah. And the emperor grants 
as he calls it a reward, it is actually a death sentence mm-hmm. to House Atreides. He gives them stewardship over Arrakis. They are to move from Caladan, planet Caladan to Arrakis and take control. And this is basically setting them up to be slaughtered. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it's definitely a double cross. Uh, because and to that. everybody knows it. Leto, Leto knows it. Leto, who is a goody two-shoes, if you were to put him on the old D&D bracket, he would be the lawful Which, dude, yes, for sure. The old, the old, give him the old square, the old tic-tac-toe. I, that's that's a tool I always love to use. It is, a, it is really, it, uh, once we touch it, on D&D, I do want to cover yeah. that in depth as a, yeah, as a writing he, yes. tool. It's a good one. <laughs> nobody, no, and nobody, it's proof positive that nobody likes a goody two-shoes. It's yeah. bad for, it's bad for everybody's BS, other backdoor dealings and everything. They don't like that. So he's he's got to go. They, they want him out. Yeah, and to the emperor, I know Atreides is a pretty popular house among the Landrat, um, I amongst, believe. Amongst the people, yes. They, yes, they, amongst because the people. Because he's being seen as someone who will bring pr- peace and order back to the Imperium. Someone yeah. who will kind of balance out all the BS. And but they the don't emperor, want of course, feels threatened by that as well, so... All the corrupt politicians, of course, see this as a huge problem. <laughs> yeah. No, that's Which, exactly. And that that that's exactly how you, you look at our history. It's exactly yeah. similar to Caesar. Like the pe- the regular people loved him. And then, but the senators. The, the rest rich, is history. <laughs> yeah, they were like, did not. Not that I'm advocating for tyranny or dictatorship. Absolutely but not. It's, it's a similar quality, you know, like it, it happens. It happens a lot. Yeah. It, and this is like. I know a lot of people complain about the politics aspect of Star Wars, but I mean, this does it to a degree where it is. Oh like yeah, the, the poli- politics into are every heavy, element. Yeah, like politics it is are like much more every heavy concept in this. Yeah, like the at the centerfold of it is basically this this spice space oil, but it equates to not only the ability to travel but also wealth. There's a lot of layers to every element of this that are entwined with almost every other element of this mm-hmm. story, and I think that's partly what makes it so good. Is everything else is every Everything is impacted by by everything. They're all kind of in each other's pockets. They're all kind of dealing in the same yeah, things. I mean, this is certainly a intricate web of alliances, promises, backdoor deals, everything like that. Yeah, it's not as the story is not as simplified as as Star Wars is. If if, yeah. we're, if we're making that comparison, I don't mean that as a knock on Star Wars, but Star Wars is easier to follow in terms of what side you're on, what side you're not. Star Wars is a much more straightforward, straightforward journey yeah, that, story, the, which yeah. is like like you said, it is easy to follow, and I think that that's partly what's made it so successful. Yeah, this is a whole other animal. This there's multiple layers of complexity to every little thing. While on a surface it seems like it may be a fairly simple story. Like there's only there's only four yeah, planets, it, whereas it, Star it, Wars there's like thirty planets. <laughs> yeah, you know I it mean, definitely uses the same simple structure of the narrative, but you can there's a lot to dig out and discuss. Yeah, there if, for anybody if you want going to. into Dune a first time, I would I would give the warning that it is a darker story than people would think that it is. Yeah, I know some people who got into that first Villeneuve take and are like, oh, this is going to be such a great great hero's journey story. Kind of like was the mm-hmm. attitude, and not so, such simple terms. But I was like, uh, hold on, it's not gonna be not gonna be that uplifting. Especially like we talked uh, about Dune Messiah. Once once you get to that point, I felt like it felt like Herbert had to prove to people he's like, no, you're not supposed to like these people. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah, you're missing the point. And then he mm-hmm. just like hits those themes on a head on the head with a sledgehammer in Messiah. So yeah, just as a fair warning to anybody who gets into it, it's like <laughs> this this is a damning indictment of the human sentiment in a lot of ways. Yeah. Is what this is. 
Oh, no, yeah. And oh, going back to what I said before, he said, I think heroes should carry that, that warning label with them. Maybe bad for your health. Yeah. Which is such an interesting concept to think of, you know, because like, I mean, we, but it is, I mean, he's not, I, I wouldn't, I can't argue that he doesn't have a little bit of a point there. I mean, we. Oh, a lot of a point. <laughs> I mean, think of all like people that we think of as heroes. Like, I mean, even just today's world. Even if they really haven't done anything heroic, I mean, we, just the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl again, and we would surely consider them all heroes. But this book would be like, why? Yeah, would they do? But they can affect you in a way that you don't realize, and because of their status and their power, that's and that's essentially yeah. It, I'm going around in circles here. Too much spice, but <laughs> you had way too much spice on your pasta. <laughs> yes, but way too much of that sriracha. Ooh, sriracha. House Carino is Emperor Shaddam Carino. Mm-hmm. He is part. He is the emperor of the Imperium. He l- rules over the entire lands, right? Yeah, and he has no sons, which is a big problem for him. Yeah, he has nobody to inherit his throne, and Paul knows this. <laughs> <laughs> It is the one chink in an otherwise unflawed armor. Yeah. Flawless victory. And flawless victory. So House Carino is their masters of puppeteering the politics of this world. Obviously, they wouldn't hold that that seat of power if they weren't. His daughter, Irulan, becomes very important down the pipeline <laughs> in a very interesting way during the the, Vinch, the, the Lynch adaptation. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of people laugh about the introduction of her, how she comes back. Like, she fades out into space. I know. And then she comes fa- back, oh, oh wait, such, I forgot. Oh, uh, such a good, oh, wait, there's one thing. It's like, what, what? It gets so, it's like, it's trippy. <laughs> like in a, in a, in a, in a weird way, in a laughable way, I would, I would say. Even, even Lynch doesn't like his take on Doom, which I think no. is the funniest part of the whole thing. Oh, oh, I will say, if, if we're on the subject of Lynch's Dune, my favorite part of that entire movie is when the Baron is just flying around laughing. Oh, the meme. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I, th- I like, I hear it not in the actor's voice, but do, I, I've shared with you a couple times. I listened to Henry Zabrowski's podcast on, yeah. on L- LPN, and also he did a deep dive on Dune. And I hear every time I even watch that movie anymore, I hear it in his voice because he does it to such a funny degree <laughs> on that show. Oh God, it's so funny. Well, too, in that one, I remember like I think they call it House Harkonnen. In that, yeah, that was the other. Th- Li- There's debate over the pronunciation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't care that. either way. I, again, I know who they're tar- talking about. Yeah, I don't know. I, I've, I've always, I, it's kind of both. I, it's one of those things. Like, I feel like within the world of Dune, it's pronounced both ways, so it's like yeah. interchangeable. Yeah, and it, the, the, those. So those are basically the three biggest houses of the lands, right? In terms of this story, in terms of how this particular book unfolds there are a lot more things that get into down the road into the other books but yeah house carino house harkonnen house atreides are like the principal ones in terms of this particular struggle over arrakis definitely like i said it has that simple structure in the sense of like if i was pitching it earlier i said it's king arthur in space a little bit but much like king arthur there's a lot going on there beyond just the the plot itself yeah and if duke leto is the goody two-shoes lawful good then i would say paul is the lawful neutral yes he kind of doesn't he doesn't have the goody two-shoes aspect but he's still trying to do good yeah but his actions lead it's it's the, the between dune 
and Dune Messiah, I would say the point of the story is wariness of, try to say this right, <laughs> being yeah, wary of, I wrote it down somewhere. I don't know where I wrote it. Down. God damn it. And I think I just kind of forgot it, what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> the point of it is wariness. No, it was, what was it? Why, I, why am I spacing on that? <laughs> Join the spacing guild now. Oh, <laughs> sh- 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 shut your face. It's gone. It's going to have to be in part two. Paul's ability to look into the future is known as prescience within the novels. Yeah. And he is looking down the lines of all these possible futures, and he knows throughout the course of the story what's going to happen. He's trying mm-hmm. to avoid these terrible outcomes, which is the the jihad that is coming, that he know that this war spreading in his father's name and his name. Yeah. Uh, waving the the Atreides banner at the foot of his father's grave and all this, he f- he fears the death that surrounds him and things that he doesn't want to cause. He doesn't want all this this mass war in his name, but he can't seem to avoid it. Everything he tries to do to avoid it leads leads him only further down that spiral. Yeah, I d- I do love fate like fate as it as it encompasses time travel. I've I've always been fascinated by that, and that's why I think causal determinism is my mm-hmm. favorite form of that. There's a sense of tragedy in that that I yeah. like. If if meddling with the the powers behind the curtain of time travel, something I feel with mankind was not meant to meddle with, there is a price to be paid for dabbling in that. Yeah. And there's in the fatalistic take of causal determinism, I really like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that is prescience. I think it's a, it's an interesting topic that's touched on in that in, in the first book of Dune, like the the first novel, especially. I mean, it, it encompasses like a, a lot of the other layers, but it is like the principal guiding force. Yeah, in that uh, first book. Yeah, that like, like you said, that causal determinism. Yeah, and the fate therein, and it, you know, like with the Bene Gesserit trying to pull their puppet strings, they have a small sense of that. Whereas Paul's looking at like. He's reading the whole book, whereas the Bene Gesserit are like picking out pages and trying to piece together the entire story. Mm-hmm. So it's it's complicated, and it's it's he Paul doesn't even know how to wrestle with all this information that he has. He has basically the the entire fate of the galaxy on, in his head, whereas yeah. like there's an entire organization of space witches trying to figure all this shit out, and they can't <laughs> even compete with this fifteen year old kid. Yeah, no, I. It's definitely there's definitely more to talk about. Yeah, uh, with we'll, it. we'll go into a part two. We'll, we'll get we'll get a little deeper this next week here. If you're looking for something out there in terms of reading, um, I would say give Dune give it give it a, give it a try. I, I I would say get past like those first two hundred pages and then judge if you want to. Cool yeah, you, <laughs> so it's like I would say get past like the first five books. And then you're <laughs> if you get, if you get past the first six books of this six book franchise and you yes. still want to keep like, <laughs> no um, yeah it it is a lot and I I think that those those early pages are tough if you can if you can get past that and still find that you enjoy it then I I'd, I'd say stick with it and give it a shot yeah same but yeah I we'll go we'll go deeper next week I I want to I've pu- I've pushed a lot of the spoilery topics for Dune Part like Villeneuve's Dune part two. Cause I don't, I don't want people yeah. to watch and get discouraged for that next movie. So I'll, I'll keep what few of those I'm keeping and I'm going to push to next week and we'll 
give everybody a chance to hold uh, hold that off and <laughs> get to get to experience Villeneuve's take with fresh eyes. I am I've been very impressed with Villeneuve. I think he's doing a pretty interesting yeah. job with his takes. So I think we're in in store for a treat with that. I'm excited for it. But yeah, I, I encourage everybody to take a look at the book if you get a shot. It's got a lot deeper deeper lore and material in it. And for anybody that likes to get into that kind of thing, I very I very much recommend it. It's gone. It's gonna have to be in part two. Okay. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Ended. You just end, end the episode with that. It's gone. It's going to be in part two.